Well, good morning, OCC. How you doing today? Yeah, and good morning to all of you joining us online also. So let me see a show of hands. Who are my cautious drivers in the room? And if you're joining us online, just type, that's me. Just say, I'm cautious. So get your hands up there. You don't have to be cautious. Get your hand. So they're cautious drivers. And online say, I'm cautious. Okay, now, for those of you wired up like me, speed racers. Who, who are the speed racers in the room? People who drive with a little more assertiveness, dare we say, aggression. All right, if you're online and you're a speed racer, just type vroom, vroom for us, all right? Have a little fun with that. Now, how many of you wish the person that rides with you most often raised their hand when you raised your hand? <laughs> Sometimes it causes a little conflict, doesn't it? And we all have our biases. We all have the way that we prefer to do things. Some of us prefer to drive a little faster and get there a little sooner. Some prefer to take their time. And sometimes it just depends on where you're going, what you're doing. But we have the things that we like. We have our preferences. And that means that we are all biased. Research has shown that we all have biases on any number of things. And we're not even mindful of these most of the time. We, we don't even think always about our biases. But that just means we have things that we prefer. That there are certain things that we prefer, whether it's driving or something else, that we have certain biases towards types of music and movies and food and clothing and hairstyles and on and on and on it goes. We just have those things we prefer. And most of those biases are shaped by our upbringing. It's shaped by our previous experience. And most of those biases, they're not good. They're not bad. They're not right. They're not wrong. It's just what we like and what we're comfortable with. But sometimes... Sometimes our biases can be wrong. Sometimes our biases do cause us to treat other people differently. Sometimes our biases cause us to treat people with preferential treatment, either good or bad. And and that can be a bad thing. Sometimes we treat people without even thinking about it based on their, their hair or their weight or their height or their age or even their eye color. Research has shown that we have bias and we interact with people differently based on all those kinds of things. And even people's skin color, we know that that happens, right? So we have these different biases. And what that means is that we sometimes put people in a box. We're just boxing people in. And our biases on any number of things cause us to put other people in a box. And if there's ever been a year where we have been putting people in a box and making box people 2020 has to be the year. I mean, if we think about the boxes that we're shoving people into all the time, we, we got the red box put in. I'm not talking about movies. I'm talking about, you know, we shove people into a box. Oh, you vote red, right? You, know, you must be some gun-toting, redneck, you know, evangelical Republican. If you, you know, but then we got the, the blue box. Oh, you must be a tax-loving socialist Democrat if you're on that side of things. Or maybe you're the green box, which means you just... You don't know what you are. You're just a, a vegan, hippie, tree-hugging, somewhere-in-the-middle person voting, right? And then we got other boxes. We, we got the, the Black Lives Matter box, and, and you know that's a big one. And then we got the Blue Lives Matter box, and somehow you can't support one and, and the other at the same time, so you got to choose sides. And then, oh, man, everything's become politicized. So don't miss. You got the mask box. You, you're a mask wearer. Well, that means, you know... If, if you if you wear masks, then you must care about people and you love people and you care about safety and health and that's a good thing. But but well, you're a no mask person. That means you care about freedom and having your own expression. And you're you know you're not afraid. You got faith or whatever. And we just start shoving people into boxes and box box box. You can't even navigate through all the boxes all the time. We're tripping over boxes and we're shoving people into boxes. And when we put people into boxes, 
It's a whole lot easier to deal with the problems and the issues and the challenges we face because we just talk about that issue, just talk about that box that we shove somebody in. And so all the time, what are we doing? We're just boxing people in. And then we're just becoming a bunch of box people. Everybody walking around, we climb into our own box, just one or two issues, and we do this box thing. And you know what happens when you put everybody in a box? You start boxing. And it's like we're throwing punches and we're picking fights and we're just, we're just shoving everybody in a box. And the problem with that is, is it steals away our humanness. Everybody's just one issue. But, but what happens? Well, what might happen if we were to take people out of the box? If we were to remove those barriers? Well, what would happen if we were to treat somebody not as one or two issues that they, that they support? And make those one or two issues represent them. But what if we were to treat people as human? As complex individuals? As people who have hopes and dreams and fears like you and me? What would happen if we were to treat people as more than just that one thing that allows us to shove them in a box and think of them only that way? Well, in Acts chapter 10, we see a story of two guys, Peter and Cornelius. And this is what Peter goes through. All of a sudden, his box, his boxes start falling over. He, he has to learn a new paradigm of how to interact with other people. People who he's previously put in a box, now he has to have a new box to put them in and a new frame of reference. So we encounter the story of Peter and Cornelius in Acts chapter 10. Acts is a book found in the New Testament. It's the chronology of the history of the early church. And the story that we're going to look at today happens about a decade after the resurrection of Jesus, about 10 years after Jesus was resurrected. And there's this guy named Cornelius. Cornelius was a Roman military commander, and he had about 100 guys under his command. So he was well-respected, he was well-off, he was, he was a well-to-do kind of guy. And Cornelius, the Bible tells us, was a God-fearer. He was beginning to follow the God of the Jewish people. He was converting to Judaism. Now, he himself was not a Jew. You had two kinds of people for the Jewish people. You had the Jewish people, and then anybody who was not Jewish by birth was a Gentile. So Cornelius, even though he was converting to the Jewish way of life and the Jewish religion, was not a Jewish person by heritage, by ethnicity, so he was still considered a Gentile. So this creates some issues because Cornelius has this dream. He has this vision of God speaking to him. And God says, Cornelius, I want you to send for a man named Peter. Peter is a good friend of Jesus. Peter was one of the disciples, Peter, is a leader in the early church. He says, I want you to send for Peter. Send a few of your guys. Go get Peter. Bring him back because he has something to tell you. Now, that sounds really great, except for the fact that Peter, this friend of Jesus, well, he's got Jewish roots. He was born a Jew. He was raised a Jew. His faith in Jesus was framed up and had its roots in the Jewish way of life and the Jewish faith. And so here's Peter, this Jewish guy. And for Jewish men like Peter, even if he'd become a Christian, they still held on to these Jewish biases from their past, which meant he wouldn't have anything to do with the Gentile. He wouldn't visit that home. He wouldn't eat in that home. He wouldn't talk to those people. There was racism. And so here we go. Peter is having this, this challenge because what's he going to do when he gets called to go there? And at the same time that God is speaking to Cornelius to say, go send men to grab Peter and bring him home, Peter has a vision. Peter has a dream. And 
he has his dream. He's visiting another family. He's talking to them about Jesus. He goes up on the rooftop to pray. It's lunchtime. And so he has this vision as he's praying of this, this sheet coming out of heaven. And it's filled with all these different kinds of animals on it. And, and all these animals are mingling together. But some of these animals are animals that for a Jewish man were off limits. These were animals that in the Old Testament he'd been told were no good. You got to stay away from them. They're unclean. They're impure. Don't touch them. Don't eat them. Don't have anything to do with those pigs and lobsters and that kind of stuff, crustaceans from the sea, certain types of animals. And all of a sudden, while Peter's having this dream in the middle of a prayer, a voice speaks to him and says, get up, Peter, kill and eat. Have a ham sandwich for lunch. Have some bacon with your eggs. Tonight, when you have that nice steak, go ahead and have some lobster with butter. Have some surf and turf. Enjoy the food. And Pete's response is, no, no way. I can't do that, Lord. I, I've never eaten anything that our Jewish laws have declared impure and unclean. I can't do that. I never have. I never will. That's just, that, that's so far out of my friend reference. I've got bias against that. I can't do that. But the voice spoke again. Hey, Pete, don't call something unclean if I, the Lord your God, have made it clean. The same vision was re- repeated three times. Three times for emphasis. Three times to make sure old Petey was hearing what was going on. So here's Pete. What what am I supposed to do with this? What what do I do? These these things that have always been off limits, all of a sudden now, what's the message of this prayer? What's the message of this vision? God, what am I supposed to do? So he's a little perplexed by this. And meanwhile, as Peter was puzzling over the vision, the Holy Spirit said to him, three men have come looking for you. Get up, go downstairs, and go with these men Without hesitation. Just obey. Immediate obedience. Just go, Pete. And don't worry, because I have sent these men to you. Well, the three men knocking at his door were the three men that Cornelius had sent to get him and bring him back to Cornelius' house. So Peter interacts with these guys, and he goes with these men, and he goes over and visits Cornelius, and he's talking to Cornelius outside, and then they talked together and went inside Cornelius' home, where many others were assembled. Cornelius is excited to have this guy named Peter. Hey, God told me to bring a guy named Peter to my house. When this God guy shows up, this Peter dude shows up, I want all my friends, my family, my neighbors, my soldiers there. I want them there to hear what's going to happen. So his house is packed with people. And Pete tells them, you know, it's against our laws for a Jewish man to enter a Gentile home like this or to associate with you. All right, so put yourself in this situation. Here's Pete who's traveled over to Cornelius' house. He's interacted with Cornelius. He goes into the home. Peter has never been in the home of a Gentile before in his life. And all of a sudden, here he is. Imagine the weirdness of this. God, I'm not supposed to be here. I'm not supposed to be with these people. I'm not supposed to be having this kind of conversation. I'm not supposed to be in this place. And yet here I am on their turf. I'm in his living room. And then he does what everybody does, right? It's a good host. Let's go ahead and put that that passage back up, uh, the one right before. And he says, you know, it's against the law for a guy like me to be here with you. Let's put that in today's language. You know, my people don't hang with your people. Y'all are impure and unclean. I shouldn't even be here, but here I am. Because that's not offensive at all to the host of the house. You invite somebody over for dinner and the person says, normally I don't hang out with people like you. You're below me. I try to stay as far away from you people as possible. Thanks for having me for dinner, though. Good to meet all your friends. It's just this awkward, weird thing. So offensive to the people in that room. So much just weirdness going on. And so then 
He's trying to figure this out. What, what do I do here? Because Peter came from this religion that was exclusive. He still has all these Jewish roots to his Christianity. And, and Judaism was this exclusive religion. Well, anything that's exclusive means it's also excluding. So people had been excluded. These Gentiles had been excluded from this. But then, then Peter continues. But God. Now, let's just stop right there. When you read your Bible... And you come across that phrase, every time you come across that phrase, just pause. Look at what happened before and get ready for what's about to happen next. Because every time we see that phrase, but God, those two little words, it's a game changer. Everything's going to turn upside down. You're going to get a twist in the story. You're going to get something that used to be, now is not anymore. Something that never was is now happening. God is always up to something and it's always something great. So when we see but God, we know something's about to change. And in this story, everything's about to just turn all around for Pete's perspective. But God has shown me, says Peter, that I should no longer think of anyone as impure or unclean. This is that, that image I had of these animals. I know. It's not just about those animals. That's just a parable. That's just a metaphor. That's about the people. He says to the, the host and to all of his guests, up until I had that prayer time on that rooftop, I thought y'all were unclean, y'all were impure. I should stay away. But God says, no. God brought me here for this. Peter's trying to reconcile the way he has always thought of these people. He's trying to reconcile the way he has always dealt with these people or avoided dealing with these people. Peter's trying to reconcile the way he's always grown up and how he's always interacted and and the way he's always believed about these things and these people. He's trying to reconcile all that with the fact that God told him, go see this guy Cornelius and hang out in his living room. And so Peter has this moment. And so Peter continues on with the reason he came. And he tells him, he says, listen, I see very clearly that God shows no Peter wouldn't have said that before, but now he's in this guy's living room. He's, he's in the home of a Gentile and says, now I know God doesn't show any favoritism. In every nation, God accepts those who fear him and do what is right. Well, this is the message of good news for the people of Israel, for my Jewish people like me, Peter says. The good news is that there is peace with God through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. Not just Lord of us Jews, but he's Lord of all. And so God's up to something bigger. It says, they put him to death by hanging him on a cross. But God, there it is again, Jesus was dead, he was crucified. But God raised him up, resurrected him back to life on the third day. And now, who, say this with me, everyone who believes in Jesus will have their sins forgiven through his name. Peter's like, whoa, 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 now I understand. That this everyone, that includes you Gentiles. That this resurrection of Jesus was also for you, not just for the Jewish people. That what God is up to is not just through his Jews, but it's now spreading to everyone. Friends, don't miss what is happening in this moment. That this incredibly beautiful thing is unfolding here. Peter shares the gospel with these people. And I love what happens in the next moment. As we would continue on in Acts 10 and then into 11, we see that Cornelius and his family are, are hanging on the words of Peter as he talks to them about Jesus, who Jesus is, what Jesus has done, even for them. And then Cornelius and his family, they say, hey, we're in. 
as Jesus, well, we, we, we want that. And, and, and we want to follow him as the leader of our lives. We, 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 we acknowledge that we need a savior and Jesus is the one. And they get baptized into Jesus. And it's just a beautiful thing. And I love what God does through this beautiful, mysterious conversion experience where he's, he's talking to a guy named Cornelius over here and he's talking to a dude named Peter over here. And, and in this mysterious way, these two guys have these visions and then they sync up and these three guys knock on his door and he brings us together. And we have this incredible way that the Holy Spirit works to communicate with these people to weave this story for the conversion of Cornelius and his family. I love the beauty of Cornelius' conversion, but I also love the beauty of the conversion that happening in Peter's heart that day. That for the first time, Peter begins to see a bigger picture. Peter begins to see that this, this salvation thing is for everyone. He, he begins to see, like it, it clicks for him at the first time, that God shows no favoritism. That God is not only the God of the Jewish people, but he's the God of all people. And he's offering salvation to all those people. This is the first time Peter saw this. This is the first Gentile conversion we see recorded in Scripture. This is the first time we see that the gospel makes it from the Jewish people to the non-Jewish people. And it takes a decade for that to happen. It takes 10 years for it to happen. And for the first time, this thing happens. So Pete, he's so excited. And he heads back to Jerusalem. Now, Jerusalem is the epicenter of the church. It is the headquarters of the early church. The epicenter of Christianity. And Pete, he goes back to tell all the guys in Jerusalem, what's up? And like this whole thing. Well, they've already heard about it. So when Peter arrived back in Jerusalem, the Jewish believers, because remember, the only Christians at that time, up until this, the only Christians were Jewish people who had begun following Jesus. So these Jewish Christians, with all their Jewish roots and their Jewish biases, they criticized them. Yo, Pete, what were you thinking, man? You entered the home of a Gentile and then you ate with them? Bro, you know that's wrong. You know that's off limits. You can't do that. What were you thinking, man? So you know. You, you know that any time you do what Peter did, and you begin tearing down barriers and building bridges to people who are far from God, to the people who have been left out, and the people who have been left behind, and the people who have been ostracized, whenever you do that and you tear down the barriers and you begin building bridges, you will face opposition. You will receive criticism. But friend, let me tell you that every time you do it, it's worth it. It's worth it. Because you're also making a way for somebody else to find their way to Jesus. And that's always worth it. Every time. So Pete tells these guys, these followers of Jesus who have all these Jewish background biased roots. He tells them what's up. He says, yeah, 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 I know. Here's the deal. God spoke to me and told me to go to Cornelius' house. And then three dudes knocked on my door while that was happening. So I was like trusting God. I'm like, okay, God tells me to go. Three guys are there inviting me. I should probably go. That's like a pretty big deal coincidence. So I talked to these guys over to communities. I hang out with this guy. This dude is wanting to find out more about Jesus. So yeah, I, I had a sinner dinner. I didn't even have to host it. These dudes hosted the sinner dinner for me. I'm hanging out with Corny and his crew and his family. And we're hanging out. And I just talked to him about Jesus. I told him what's up. Told him who Jesus is, what he's done, how much he loves him. And then they're like, dude, we're in. And they got baptized. So, you know, I'm saying that's a good day. Because now they're no longer those Gentiles over there. Now they are our brothers and sisters with us. And, and this is a game changer for the church. This, this begins to change all these things. Like this is... This is a dot connector. We cannot overstate the importance of this event in church history, 
of this event in human history because this changes the direction of the world from this point. This suddenly, suddenly these guys understand that that this gospel is for everyone, for all people. It was a dot connector. that They began to see that, that the resurrection of Jesus was framed not just in Jewish history, but the resurrection of Jesus is framed in human history. And it connected the dots all the way back to Genesis 1, where God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, God created us. And for these Jewish Christians, it wasn't just that God created Jewish people in his own image. And those Gentiles, well, uh, not sure how they came about. No, no, all of a sudden, they're framed up in this thing too. So friend, who is that for us? Who is it for you? Who are the people that we tend to forget are also made in God's image? Who are the people we would say, well, those ones? Because we all have them, we all do it. Let's admit it. And then let's move beyond it. Because this This gospel message is for everyone, that every single person is made in the image of God. Every single person bears the thumbprint of their creator on their soul. Every person. The problem with that is that our sin, the the, the rebellious acts we do to turn away from God, to walk away from God, to go our own way, or sometimes just our own ignorance of being mindless about who God is, that distorts the image of God in us. And we begin to lose the mark of the creator. It gets buried by all these other things going on in our lives. And we begin to have this distorted image where we're made in the image of God, but we we don't reflect it very well. And so if you are a follower of Jesus, your mission is to help restore that image. Your, Your mission is to allow the image of God to be restored in your own life and then to do the work of helping other people uncover that image in their life so they can be restored to that image as well. But the problem is that so often we... We just put something in a box. We, we box them in the, in, the, in the box of their sin. Oh, they're, they're that person who does that thing? That's uncomfortable. Don't want to deal with that. And, and when we throw them in that sin box, then we don't do a very good job of restoring the image. We just kick them away. Or, or sometimes we put somebody in the, in the box of our preference. Well, that's awkward. That's weird. I, I don't like dealing with that stuff. So you, you stay over there, and I'm, I'm going to go. And, and we don't do a very good job of restoring the image of God in them. And the problem becomes that we, we just start neglecting people and dehumanizing people. And we, we deny their dignity anytime we put them in a box. So we gotta remember, church, that, that God shows no favoritism. And if God shows no favoritism, then neither should we show any favoritism. And what that means is that this hope of Jesus, this, this message of Jesus, of hope, of freedom, of forgiveness of sins forgiven and life promised forever, that that's for everyone. Everyone. Even the people who stand on a different side of an issue than us. Even the people who upset us. Even the people who we just struggle to accept that there's anything good in them. So what do we do with this? What do we do with with this? All right, so... They're made in the image of God, and we're supposed to restore the image, and we have some bias. Well, the first thing is to identify the bias in our lives. We all have it. 
We just got to identify what it is. The, the tough part is actually identifying our bias because it's usually so ingrained in us that we don't see it. Other people can see it. We have a hard time seeing it. Here's one of the ways to uncover that. Think of the people you put in a box and what boxes you put them in. If you're putting them in a box you don't like, then you probably are demonstrating that you have some bias against that person. Think of the people who make you mad. Watch TV, watch the news, and the people that get you really like fired up on the news, those are probably people you've got some bias against. Or in the news stories that like really, oh, that's probably demonstrating where some of your bias is. So you identify that bias and you find who you're biased against and who you're putting in a box. And, and listen, as soon as we put somebody in a box, that means we are no longer seeing them as a somebody, just a something, just a representation of an idea, an ideology, a belief a position, an issue, and allows us to not deal with them as a human, but to just deal with them as a, as a belief or an issue. And we can like dehumanize them and we deny their dignity. We begin to lose compassion for people to that point because we forget that those people are people like you and like me. They're, they're people like us who have hurts and hangups and hopes and dreams and fears and joy. And, and we gotta uncover that humanity. We gotta restore that humanity. Too often, too often we just put somebody in a box and we turn them aside. So the way to get past that, when we identify our biases, to begin to move beyond our bias, means we got to start building bridges, not barriers. And too often we do just the opposite. We build barriers and we burn bridges. And we got to flip that script. We got to start building bridges to people who are far from Christ. Start building bridges to people who are not like us and tear down the barriers that exist. We gotta break those things down. It's become commonplace for us to use language that just puts barriers in between people. Like we, we use this language that just, we, we've stopped dialoguing about issues and we've stopped actually talking, like really talking about stuff that's important. And we just like smear people's character and we just talk bad of people. It's called an ad hominem attack. If, if you're familiar with fallacies, ad hominem just simply means you're attacking the person instead of the position. And we see this all the time. This is, this is presidential debates, at least the first one, wasn't it? We just see this happen all the time where we're attacking people instead of positions, where we're not even talking about the positions. We're just calling each other names. It's as though we have people on social media and in the news and all around us just saying, well, if you believe that, then you're a, you're a doo-doo head. Well, anyone who'd support that idea is just a poopy pants. And it sounds really mature, doesn't it? No, it sounds totally childish because it is. But we are effectively a nation of people running around calling each other doo-doo pants and poopy heads. I mean, that's about where we are. And it's not good. So we gotta stop that. We gotta stop that and find a different way to do it. It's, it's just not okay to tear people down, to build those kinds of barriers to people. That's not winsome, that's not attractive, that's not a representation of Jesus. Church, we, we can disagree with people. You, you can disagree with people all day long and still get along with them. Do you know that? Like my wife and I, when we, when we travel, one of the things that is most challenging in the Fitz home is when we go on vacation and if we gotta switch drivers. Because my wife is the cautious one and I'm speed racer. So when we're on vacation, I'm like, woo, let's get there. I'm also the one who likes to sightsee. So I'll speed up a little bit to get to the places that like detour us along the way and then get back on. And I drive a little more assertively, just, just a little. 
My wife, she drives a little more conservative. And so we have had to learn that if our marriage is going to last, whoever's sitting in the passenger seat does not get to critique the person who has the wheel and the gas pedal and sometimes the brake. So, so, we disagree. We got a lot of love and we get along really well. Some of my best friends sit on the other side of an issue, whether it's politics or some of our faith issues or any number of things. We can disagree, but we still get along. So friend, here's what that means. It means that we can disagree politically and we can disagree about political solutions, but we must love unconditionally. We gotta amp up our compassion and our love for one another. And we're not seeing a whole lot of that in our culture. So let's be the game changers right here. Let's determine that this will be us. Remember that when Peter was in the home of Cornelius, he, he told Cornelius and the guy says, hey, it's against the law for me to even be in your house right now. Well, kind of. No, that wasn't totally true. If you examine the Old Testament, there's no clear law that actually says that a Jewish man could not enter the home of a Gentile. It said if he were to, he would be unclean and be impure, and then there'd be a purification ritual. But it didn't say he could not do it. It didn't say that was unlawful. It's maybe ill-advised, but not unlawful. But you know how it goes with faith. You know how it happens with religion. We, we have the things we're supposed to do, but to keep ourselves guarded on those things, then we add some other things around that to make sure we don't like cross a line. And then we keep adding to that so we don't cross that line. And we, we just keep adding out. And this is what the Jewish people did. They just kept adding law and law and law to protect the essence of the law. And so by the time Jesus came around, by the time Peter's hanging out, there's, there's law to guard law, to guard law, to guard law, to guard what God actually said. And we know how this goes because we've seen it happen. You've seen it happen in your lifetime. How many of you have ever been told, yeah, guys can't have long hair in church. You gotta be careful what we wear to church. Tattoos are bad. Can't have anything to drink. Stay away from alcohol. None of those are actually things in the Bible. Now, the Bible does have stuff to say about some of those things. It says don't abuse alcohol. doesn't mean you can't use it. Now, I'm not advocating you all go out and have a drink after church today. That's not what I'm saying. Those, those things were put in place. We, we've had the church put things in place, well-intentioned to protect us, to guard us, to help us be wise. But sometimes the well-intentioned, wise things that we put in place end up becoming the barriers for people. And it keeps people out. It keeps people away. And we build walls. And sometimes we do this with politics. Let's just be honest, sometimes we do this with our politics. Whenever I hear somebody say, well, how can you be a Christian and vote for? It's a barrier. It's not a bridge. It's not biblical. It's just not. Because the issues are way too complex to boil it down to that. When we become unable to see our faith as bigger than our politics, and our faith and our politics are so wrapped up together that we are in a very dangerous place where our politics and even some of our politicians are becoming idols for us. That's a dangerous and hellish place to be. And if you're not sure if you're there, well, let me just ask you. If a change in political persuasion would create a crisis of faith for you, you're in a bad spot. If changing political party would create a crisis of faith, then your politics and your faith are way too wrapped up and you've turned your politics into an idol. Because God stands bigger than both.
If for you, adhering to a political party, a particular political party, is a prerequisite for following Jesus, then that party has become an idol. That's not biblical. That's an idol. It is becoming a god, and it is more important than your faith. It is compromising your faith, and that's sin. Now, that's not to say that you should not hold firmly to your beliefs and that your faith should not inform. Your faith definitely must inform your political stance. But years ago, I was wrestling with this own thing where I was beginning to change my perspective on some stuff, kind of like Peter in Cornelius' house. And I was beginning to see things a little bit differently on some political issues that I'd always held to. And it was challenging my faith. And I began to think, and I remember the moment thinking, Am I going to let down Jesus? Is this going to pull me away from Jesus? But I just feel, and I realized, no. This is one of those moments where I'm stepping closer to Jesus. And Jesus is way bigger than this political issue. And he's way bigger than the limited perspective I've held for too long. Friend, if you are unable to do that, you're in a dangerous spot. And you need to surrender that at the altar and follow Jesus, not a political party. Vote how you vote and let it be informed by your faith and believe it firmly, yes. But may your faith be here in your politics way subservient. Do not confuse the two. Do not marry the two. And if you're unsure how to get there, here's a good way. To break down barriers and to begin building bridges. Sit across from someone. I'm going to change this a little bit from what I originally said. Sit across from someone, not who disagrees with you, somebody who you disagree with. Find the person who you would have a hard time sitting across from and then intentionally sit across from them. And just have a cup of coffee, share a meal, and ask them, help me understand. Help me understand how you vote for that person. Help me understand how you hold this piece. Just hear their story. Ask the why behind it. Why do you think that way? Begin to hear their experiences and their story and their background, their hurts, their hopes, their fears, their dreams. Begin and let that person become a human to you. When you see a young girl who's beginning to question some of her beliefs and she's standing there, a young, unmarried, pregnant girl, trying to decide if she should walk into that abortion clinic. Let's amp up our compassion. And let's all agree that it must be really hard, be really tough to be the young girl in that situation trying to decide what you should do knowing that your future will be shaped by one decision and unsure who's going to walk that road with you. Let's all agree that it's got to be really tough to be a single parent trying to navigate things in the world today. Let's all agree that it's got to be really tough to be that, that young high school kid in, in a home that's broken and messed up, trying to stay out of trouble, trying to stay the course, in an underprivileged home, on the bad side of town. Since when do we have a bad side? Like, what deems it so? Let's agree that it must be really tough to be a police officer, 
that it's gotta be really tough to be a minority, that it's gotta be really tough to be a civic leader who has to make tough decisions knowing that no matter what, trying to do what's in the best interest of the people, half of them are gonna hate you for it. Let's agree that it must be really tough to be a homeless person. That it's gotta be really tough to face any number of things. So let's drop the anger and let's forget our simplistic political solutions and instead let's amp up the simplest solution, compassion. And just show some compassion to people. Friend, even when we disagree with people, we can still love them unconditionally. Even when we disagree with them, we can still love them unconditionally. I love the story that my buddy Dave tells. Years ago, Dave was out in, in Nebraska and he was speaking for a few days at a Bible college. And he, he began interacting with some of these young girls at this Bible college and hearing this this incredible story of what they were doing in their spare time. That there was a strip club in their town. And these girls decided, let's go make friends with the strippers. Let's just go see who these people are. Because other people were walking around with picket signs saying, shut the place down. And they said, let's just find out who these gals are. And so they went and they began making friends with these strippers. And what they found was that most of the women who were working in that strip club were single moms on really tough times trying to provide for their family, doing whatever they could. And so these girls felt compassion for them. And so they kept going back to these gals and providing meals for them, began Bible studies with them. They threw a Christmas party for these ladies and their kids, and they they had presents for all these kids. And then these, these strippers were amazed when these young college girls had presents for the moms. And I just kept telling him over and over, you know, Jesus loves you. You know, you matter to our God. And so, you know, we love you too, and you matter to us. And my buddy was hearing this story, and he was just thinking to himself, these two questions, like, which which is going to matter more? And he said it really was a thought that didn't need a whole lot to answer. It was pretty easy. Like, what's going to have the greater impact? A bunch of people standing outside with pickets yelling at people, or a bunch of people saying, we love you Come walk with us. And so these young college girls changed the lives, changed the eternities of the women of that strip club and their children. The stories are incredible. Church, we disagree with people. We disagree with what they do, what they think, their ideology, their belief, but we gotta love them. We gotta love them. And so for us, when we begin when we begin feeling compelled to complain, let's, instead of complaining, let's just pray. Hey, instead of complaining about the politician that makes us upset, let's pray for that person. When we begin feeling compelled to speak, let's listen. When we begin feeling compelled to dismiss people, let's engage with them. When we feel compelled to just toss somebody aside, let's actually invite them inside to our dinner table and just let them know we love them and they matter to us. Let's stop building barriers and begin building bridges. Let's just do that in hopes that maybe some of those people will come to find Jesus and follow Jesus. And they'll no longer be those Gentiles over there. But as Pete said, that they will be now our brothers and our sisters for eternity. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you that you are the ultimate bridge builder. That a couple thousand years ago, you left the glory and the peace of heaven to come here into the chaos and the muck of this world 
to build a bridge. But that was only one, one part of the bridge. Because then you went to a cross. A cross meant for us, a cross deserved by us, and you went there undeserving for you who were perfect and awesome. And you took it from us. And you used that cross to build a bridge between the divine and the human, between holiness and humanity. And you used that cross to build a bridge for us to get to heaven. And you invited us to walk that way with you. So God, for everyone here who has accepted that, I pray that we would be bridge builders. For anyone who claims your name as a Christian, who claims to follow you, I pray that we would be bridge builders, doing whatever we can to go to everyone we can, to build a bridge, to help them get near to you. So God, help us to overcome our bias. Help us to identify our bias. Help us to lament the times that we've created times that that have kept people at bay. And Father, I pray for anyone in here, in this room right now, or online with us now, for anyone who's never accepted that, who's never accepted the invitation, who's never realized that they are part of the everyone that we speak of here, that they are part of the all who you died for. God, I pray that right now, in this moment, there'd be people in this room and online who maybe for the first time are hearing this message and realizing that you died for them, that you came for them, that you are here to forgive them, to save them, to free them. And God, I I pray that they will cling to that, that they will take a step to draw near to you. Like Cornelius and his family, they'll say, I'm in, I'm in. Today, I'm in. Today, I choose Jesus. Today, I choose to allow him to lead my life. Today, I choose to allow him to be my savior. Today, I wanna be baptized. And so God, we pray that today would be the eternity changing day for those people. And we thank you for being our God. We thank you for being all that you are to us. So Jesus, we pray. Amen.